everyone, welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, Year 2, where this year we're reading through and studying the entire New Testament, one chapter at a time. Thanks again for joining us in discovering God's plan and your part in it. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, today we are looking at Matthew chapter 9. It actually feels like uh, there's a lot going on in this chapter. Um, there's going to be several healings. Um, there's actually Jesus going to raise a little girl from the dead. There's something interesting about that in that a lot of times people believe that Lazarus is the only person that Jesus raised from the dead, but that's simply not true. Um, and like, I think probably the most compelling thing about this is this is the second chapter now uh, where the Sermon on the Mount has ended and Jesus is continuing to go about his ministry, just constantly proving his authority, drawing attention to himself, uh, backing up everything he says about himself uh, with the things that he's able to do. Like it's it's one thing uh, if Jesus were to say that he were the son of God, but actually had nothing to back it up. It's a whole nother thing for him to walk around uh, healing leprosy, healing <laughs> paralyzed men, healing women that have been um, bleeding for years. That's a story that's in today's chapter. Uh, healing people who are blind, healing people who are dead. Like you have to decide, okay, who is this person and is he who he says he is? And so Jesus, I think, is is causing people to wrestle with those questions. Uh, and that's what we see here in Matthew chapter nine. So this, the chapter kicks off uh, with this pretty, I think, fairly familiar story. Like if you've been around church for a long time, uh, you've probably heard it before. These friends bring a man who's been paralyzed for a long time uh, to Jesus so that he can be healed by Jesus. But the interesting thing, I think, if you pay close attention to the text, like these guys would have had a whole plan on how to bring their friend to Jesus to have him be cared for. And one of the things you'll notice pretty quickly is when they finally make it to Jesus, uh, he doesn't say that the man is healed. He says that the man's sins are forgiven. Uh, so I, I really wonder a lot of times when I like think about this story, if I teach this story, like what that guy must have thought. These friends would have put together an extensive plan to carry their friend to Jesus, like figure out where he is, figure out how to get there, uh, then move to that place. And then they, when they finally stand in, in front of Jesus, he just says, oh yeah, your sins are forgiven. Uh, <laughs> I almost think they'd be kind of disappointed, but the Pharisees and the the teachers of the law, they see Jesus do this and they are furious. They've already been kind of furious, at least in the book of Matthew, there's kind of this building tension uh, over the last three or four chapters. Uh, but they're furious because they're like, hey, this man does not have the authority to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus says, hey, your sins are forgiven. And then to prove uh, that he has indeed forgiven the man's sins, um, he tells him, hey, rise up, take your mat and walk. And the man does that. So this story, I think, raises a pretty interesting question about like which is more important. Uh, when Jesus sees this paralyzed man, he sees that it's more important to forgive his sins uh, than it is for him to be able to walk again, which I think is a really interesting part of Jesus' ministry. Now, you can't ignore the fact that he does, in fact, heal the man after he makes his point, after he you know, deals with the Pharisees. Um, but Jesus, confronted by a paralyzed man, chooses to forgive his sins first. Uh, and then heal him. And we've seen over and over and over again, uh, and we'll continue to see, 
the people who are healed uh, of their you know diseases or whatever is affecting them they are the ones who believe in Jesus not just that he can forgive their sins but they're the ones that believe that he is something more than just a regular old guy and so we see this paralyzed man had faith that he could be healed and faith that his sins could be forgiven. So I think it's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, We also get a short biography of Matthew, which is pretty compelling. It's like two chapters. So Matthew writes about himself, Jesus calling himself. If you look at chapter 9, verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So it's interesting because Matthew could have written, you know, a whole chapter about his experience. Maybe he could have written several chapters about his experience, but Matthew understands that Jesus is the center of this story, not himself. It's a really good lesson on humility. Uh, just just looking at those short little verses, knowing that Matthew wrote these verses uh, for other people to read. Now, it's interesting that Jesus would choose a tax collector because people hated tax collectors. Uh, We don't know a ton about Matthew's character, but we can assume from his profession uh, that he was not a super honest person uh, before he met Jesus. Uh, We can probably safely assume that he would have been taking money from people that uh, was really unfair taxes, like these tax collectors in this time oftentimes like skimmed a little off for themselves. Uh, And that's why people hated tax collectors. You'll see when Jesus goes to this uh, party, uh, most likely at Matthew's house, he Uh, is really strongly criticized for hanging out with tax collectors because people hated them. And so Jesus chooses Matthew as a disciple. Uh, Matthew follows Jesus, and, you know, that's that's the end of what Matthew chooses to write about himself. So I think there's incredible humility here uh, just in what Matthew is writing. We get uh, kind of an interesting question about fasting. Um, We've kind of wrestled with this. Jenny and I have talked about this some, about how to handle the fact that Uh, Jesus teaches people to fast in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He basically tells you to be humble when you fast. But then later on here in chapter 9, he says, no, my disciples are not going to fast right now because um, the the bridegroom is with them. They're not going to mourn while the bridegroom is present. Um, Fasting is interesting. I think it's, it's a really important spiritual discipline. I think, especially in our Western American culture, we have lost an appreciation for fasting. I think it would be good for all of us to rediscover that. But it is worth noting that fasting is always kind of a spiritual lament. Like when, when something terrible happens, when you are aware of sin or destruction, that is when you fast. You don't fast at weddings because weddings are happy times. You don't, you don't fast at birthday parties because birthday parties are happy times. So that's the case that Jesus is making. Uh, but in calling himself the bridegroom, essentially, he's alluding to himself as the bridegroom, uh, he is referring back to Hosea chapter 2, where God is calling himself the bridegroom. So this is kind of a subtle instance where Jesus is starting to declare uh, his authority. He's already done it um, in forgiving the sins of the paralyzed man. Um, But here where he's getting criticized about fasting, he essentially says like, hey, the people are not going to fast when the bridegroom is here. Um, So he is sort of referring to himself as God. And we're going to see this build more and more and more. Uh, Jesus then goes on to heal uh, a dead little girl which is wild. He clears out the room. Uh, He causes um, everybody to get out of the way. He doesn't want a funeral procession happening. Uh, He wants to heal this girl, and he just, you know, picks her up, and she's alive. She's not dead anymore. Uh, We find two blind men uh, that chase Jesus down. 
Uh, it is interesting that they are able to do this. They can't see him. So somehow they know who he is and they choose to follow him and he heals them again for their faith that they would be healed. If you look at verse 29, then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. There's this interesting tension that exists where Jesus is going around healing people. uh, He's freeing people from sin. He's casting demons out of people. And oftentimes he's like, hey, like, don't make this a whole thing. Just kind of keep it quiet. There are times where he says to keep it quiet. There are times when he says to go and preach about it. Um, So that's always interesting. If you look, finally, um, closing out the chapter, this is verse 35 through verse 38. Jesus starts to notice how the people are so lost. I I envision him kind of going from city to city and town to town, uh, realizing how lost the people are because their teachers are so evil and selfish Uh, They just don't seem to be interested in honoring God. And Jesus starts to notice that, and he has compassion on them. Uh, He calls them sheep without a shepherd, which is a callback to a lot of the Old Testament passages. I think of Jeremiah uh, confronting the wicked shepherds. I think Isaiah does some of that as well, Uh, basically saying like, hey, you, you leaders of Israel are called to care for your people but you're not caring for your people. You're taking advantage of your people. We know this is true because the Pharisees are doing this all the time. They're they're not humble at all. They're constantly drawing attention to themselves, and they're probably constantly enriching themselves. And so Jesus is trying to correct the Pharisees while also having compassion on the people. Um, and if you look at verse 37, then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I've heard this verse many, many times. And honestly, most times when I read this verse, I probably get like amped up about like, oh, my word, like this is so true. Like the the harvest is plentiful in our time as well. There are so many people that need to hear the gospel. There are so many people that are far from God. Uh, there, There are so many Christian people who want to seek the Lord. Uh, but don't have good shepherds over them, leading them, caring for them, nurturing them, equipping them. And it seems like we are in a time where the harvest could be plentiful, but the laborers seem fewer and fewer. What's interesting is that typically when I hear that verse, I get amped up to like go and solve it. Like, okay, you know what? The the harvest is ready. The laborers are few. I'm going to go be a laborer. But that actually is not what Jesus says. And that definitely got my attention today. Uh, If you look at verse 38, he says, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He says, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord. He doesn't say go. Uh, He says, pray to the Lord. Maybe it's because the disciples weren't quite ready yet. Uh, Maybe it's because the, the plan wasn't all together yet. But it definitely has my attention this morning that the first step uh, is to pray. Like, pray to the Lord that he would send out laborers. Now, in chapter 10, which we'll read tomorrow, uh, he does, in fact, send out people to spread the gospel. So he doesn't have them sitting on this very long until he tells them to do something. But I guess maybe, I I guess I would say today, the your part, I think the your part would come from chapter 9, verse 
39, let's pray earnestly to the Lord uh, to raise up laborers to go out into the harvest. I think the first step is seeking the Lord. And it's very easy for me being like an action-driven, like, um, I want to get stuff done. I want to do something. It's easy for me to focus on the work that needs done. Uh, a lot of times I neglect seeking the Lord of the harvest to pray to the Lord of the harvest uh, to make sure that I'm prepared to do the work that he wants me to do or uh, to make sure that somebody else is prepared to do the work that needs to be done. So let's not neglect seeking the Lord of the harvest, praying to the Lord of the harvest. I would say earnestly, uh, multiple times a day, just seeking wisdom and direction and guidance from the Lord because there are so many lost people in our world today uh, that need to hear the truth of the gospel, that need to have their lives changed, they need to become new creations, they need to be regenerated by God's Holy Spirit, um, that they would be new creations honoring Christ. And I think the laborers are few, so let us uh, earnestly seek the Lord of the harvest that he would send out the right laborers. We'll be back again tomorrow checking out Matthew chapter 10. I'll see you then. Thanks for joining today's episode of God's Plan, Your Part. As always, please consider partnering with us as we are a listener-supported podcast that we hope to continue to grow with support from listeners just like you. We've made it super easy to partner with us, and you can support us by following the link in our show notes or our description. You can support us with as little as $3 a month. Every little bit of this helps so much, and we're so thankful for your support. With that in mind... Here's today's reading. Matthew chapter 9. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic, lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, 
but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of God's Plan, Your Part. Don't forget, you can find us on just about every social media platform and YouTube. Let us know what you thought of today's episode, and if you have any questions, go ahead and post them there. You can also reach out to us directly at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. As always, if you don't have a Bible, or if you'd like to use the one that we use, uh, reach out to us via email, and we'll be happy to send one to you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow.